0: Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke and Chapter 11, and we continue in our series of studies in that glorious message that the Holy Spirit has reserved for us. Beginning to read from verse 5, and he said to them, which of you? who has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everyone who seeks, And to him who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask and we have been engaged in a series of studies in the gospel of luke and uh, particularly what is called the lord's prayer and the last time that we were in this particular passage we were making progress away from the lord's prayer and getting into that new section, and in that new section, the Lord Jesus Christ gives a parable, and the gist of the parable is basically this, that uh, when we engage in prayer, not only are we to pray for ourselves, we are also to pray for others. Notice that the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving, uh, he is emphasizing there that the one in need is not the person asking. He is asking on behalf of the visitor or the the guest that he receives at night. So he is concerned about his friends and he goes to his neighbor on behalf of his friend to have the needs met. And the principle that's being taught to us there is that when we pray, if we are going to be praying biblically, we must learn not only to pray for ourselves, but to pray for others as well. And this is a means that God has appointed, a means that God uses to bless us, to bless many people in this world. There are many Christians who can testify of the blessing that it has been to have your parents not only teach you the scriptures from infancy, but to pray for you. And how in God's wise providence, He has used the prayers of your parents or other Christians who are concerned about you to bless you, to bring you to the point where you are. And so it is such a blessing for us to learn to pray for other people. It is important for us to pray for our children, to pray for our spouses, to pray for our friends, to pray for all kinds of people that come to our mind because prayer is the means that God uses to bless many in this world. It's important for you, and I take it for granted this is what you do, for you to pray for your elders, to pray for those who stand before you every Lord's Day to bring God's word to you and it is for your good that you do this. I have said this before but uh, it bears repetition that if you pray for the preachers you will be praying for yourself ultimately because should God answer that prayer it simply means that he is going to bless you as you listen to the word. Now, sometimes words lose meaning. We oftentimes as Christians like to say, pray for me or I'll pray for you. And uh, sometimes it's just mere words. They, they, They have no real meaning. And what I want to show you today is that the Apostle Paul, uh, probably one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, he gives us a very good example. He, He was not a man who was content to say, I'm praying for you. He would say that. But he would go into the details of what it is that he is praying for, for you, <clears throat> and perhaps one of the best examples of uh, that is is what we have been reading in Colossians chapter one, the the verses that we uh, our brother just read in our hearing. In chapter one, he is speaking to the Colossians or the church. Of- <coughs> Colossi, if you want to call it that, and uh, he really goes into details to let them know exactly what he is praying for for them. In fact, this is only one example. There are four examples of the Apostle Paul praying for other Christians in which he does this sort of thing to go into real detail to tell them exactly what he is praying for the first example is actually found in Ephesians in chapter 1 and the second example is found in Ephesians chapter 3 the third example is in Philippians chapter 1 and the fourth is here in Colossians Chapter 1. And the point there that I am making is it's not quite good for us to just say, hey brother or hey sister, I'm praying for you. It's always important to be very specific, like the Apostle Paul was. And I want us to use the Apostle Paul as an example of what it means to pray for our brothers and sisters so that we are not just uh, praying that God bless them. Uh, we actually are asking for very specific things for them that the Lord will bless them. Of course, it is right for us to ask one another, are there specific issues in your life you would like me to pray for. And if there are those issues, yes, our brothers and sisters will only be too happy to let you know what it is that they are going through. What are the specific needs with which they are contending, for which they would appreciate some people to join with them in prayer before God that the Lord will meet these needs. But we do have here in Colossians and chapter 1, a very biblical example of what it means for Christians to pray for other Christians. What it means for us as individuals to pray for our brothers and sisters. What it means for us as elders to pray for members of our flock or for you to pray for the elders. There is very good detail that the Apostle Paul is helping us to see and to appreciate. So I want to suggest to you that this is a good practice for us to go through passages like this and to use the specific words that the Apostle Paul is using to pray these things for ourselves, to pray these things for our brothers and sisters. And that is why we need again and again to study the word that we might understand. As we understand that it might affect not just the way we live, it might affect the way we pray. And here is a good example that we find in Colossians. So our starting point this morning then is Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, and we want to learn how the Apostle Paul was interceding for others and he was praying for other Christians. He says to us there, from the day we heard, that there he meant he heard the fact that they had been converted. He heard the fact that they had given their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. They they were not the same anymore. They had become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, from the day we heard that good news, we have not ceased, we have not stopped to pray for you. And then he tells us what things he's been praying for. He says, we've been asking First of all, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the basic premise of that request that the Apostle Paul is praying for is that the Christians at Colossae will be filled with the knowledge of God's will that the Christians will have an increasing knowledge of what God's will for them is. His desire is that they, they, they don't spend their time endlessly in the wilderness like the Old Testament Jews, but that they will be very clear in their minds as to what God's will is so that they might get down to business to do God's will. And generally speaking, uh, Christians when uh, speak of the will of God from the Bible, or if if you like the way the Bible speaks about God's will, in general terms we could say all kinds of things about it, but in general terms, we speak of God's will in two ways. When we speak of God's providence, which means what things God has decreed he's going to come to pass in this world of time. That's not what he's praying for. God's will, in terms of what God has revealed in his word, to us as his people. The things that have been recorded in the Bible, the things that God has inspired his servants to write and have been preserved, that we have occasion this morning to read them for ourselves. That's what he means there when he says, you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will you know precisely what the mind of God is. Or if we're to use it in a, another way that the Apostle Paul talks about to the Romans and in chapter 12, he, 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 his desire there is that Christians may be renewed in their minds. And they are renewed in their minds because their minds have been exposed to God's will and it is something that they are beginning to understand in an increasing measure. But notice also when he talks in terms of a knowledge of God's will he uses the word filled filled with the knowledge of God's will and there we shouldn't be thinking in terms of a vessel in which something is being filled. Rather, we should be thinking in terms of the influence that the knowledge of God's will begins to exercise in your life. That you are filled to an extent that it is actually controlling you. You are filled to an extent that it is now begun to be. Part and parcel of who you are, is something that controls your behavior. It is something that controls your tongue. It is something that controls your thought life and your desires. That is what the apostle Paul is praying for: that they may be so familiar with God's will that is actually controlling their behavior. It is actually has an influence in what they say, in how they behave, how they live in this world. It is something that has a practical outworking. Their lives are being transformed because they are filled with the knowledge of God's will. That's the way to pray. Pray. Pray for your brothers and sisters that they might know something of that in their own lives. God's will is their primary desire. God's will is like the Lord Jesus Christ said, my meat and drink is to do the will of him who sent me. That will be the ethos of your life. That that is the way your life is lived in this world. You are seeking to know. You are seeking to understand God's will. But notice that when the Apostle Paul is praying, he adds two words as well there. Filled with the knowledge of his will, And then he says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, wisdom is referring to skill or the ability to apply the knowledge. Understanding basically is a reference to insight, knowing how to apply that knowledge in your specific circumstances, in your particular situation. You have an insight to understand what's going on in your life. And then you can look to see which passage from the Bible is applicable to this situation. And how do I apply the principles of God's word to this kind of situation. That's what he's praying for. That the Christians at Colossae will grow in having this understanding, this insight, this penetrating insight to analyze the situations that befall them so they can know how to apply God's word to those circumstances. You know, it's very important to have knowledge, to be growing in knowledge. But knowledge on its own is not what the apostle is looking for. Knowledge is to be used so that you can apply it, not just to have it, not just to be full of it, but to be used judiciously to apply Apply it appropriately to the kind of circumstances that you find yourself in. And the reason for that is what he gives us in verse 10. And the reason why he is praying that they should be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom understanding so that they might be able to to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the idea. That's the reason why you want to know God's will. It's the reason why you want to apply that will in your own life and circumstances. Why? So that your life is a life that's lived in a manner worthy of the Lord, And what that means is that it is possible for you to be a Christian, but not be able to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of a Christian. But here the apostle is praying for them that that will not be their experience, rather that they will be a people who are serious with God's word. And so serious with God's word that they want to apply it to themselves so they can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that <coughs> phrase there we are using there, to walk in a worthy manner, to walk is a, is a metaphor for how we conduct ourselves. It's talking about our behavior, how we live day to day as Christians we are to live in such a way that it is in a way that is pleasing to God. But not only so, what that means to live worthy of the Lord, it means that our profession of faith must match our walk. We must not be a people who are hypocritical hypocritical, who talk one thing and live quite opposite to what we are talking. I think that there's a a very good Americanism that addresses that. It says to you, walk the talk. Don't just talk. Don't just profess faith. Let that profession be expressed In your conduct, so that when you live your life, it is in keeping with your profession of faith. That your conduct is not undermining your profession. Rather, your conduct should be underlining your profession of the faith. That is what the Apostle Paul is praying for as he thinks about these people. And then notice in verse ten, he says there, fully pleasing to God. That's the primary aim of Christianity. That's the primary aim of true religion what is it? it is to please God and how are you going to be able to please God unless you have a knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding that's why he's praying as he is that you will be able to please God now remember this If you please God, it does not matter who you displease. And if you please men, it will not count for anything at all. To be a Christian is to be primarily concerned about pleasing God. Pleasing God, not just when men are looking, pleasing God when you are alone. Nobody else is looking, and you are concerned about pleasing God. That shows you have been truly converted. You know, there there, there are many people who come to church and give the impression they love God. They want to worship him. If you're able to see them in private and alone, then you can all see it's all a show. There's no real, genuine <laughs> desire to please God. Just a show. They're just playing religion putting on a religious garb and come to church and appear holy but there is nothing in their heart no desire at all to please god and the apostle paul is praying the colossians would be a people who are preoccupied at the basic level Preoccupied with God. Loving God. Pleasing God. Seeking God. That's what they should be preoccupied with. And may God grant that we might grow in that area to please God. To be pleasing to the Lord. God, give me a heart that pleases you, that loves you above every other love, above every other voice. Let me hear the voice of the good shepherd and obey that voice and follow that voice regardless of how much it costs me, regardless of how much it is against the grain to do that. May God grant me the ability to say no to my own desires and to say yes to pleasing God. My dear friends, that is how to pray for one another. That is how to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. God will affect us Where it really counts, and it's in the privacy of our own hearts, in the privacy of our own rooms, in the privacy of our own desires. That is where it counts. May God be pleased to give us grace there, Then he says, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And he says, bearing fruit in every good work. Now you can see that the Lord, the, the, the Apostle Paul has thought through this prayer. He's, he, he's praying that they, they might grow in their knowledge of appreciating God's will in all wisdom and understanding, that they might walk worthy of his calling, being fully pleasing to him, and the way to please the Lord is that you bear fruit. Now, remember how the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about fruit it's not something that you and I can produce. He says, you have to abide in the vine. And as you abide in the vine, as the Holy Spirit is working in you, God produces that fruit, and you bear that fruit. That it will become clear, God is working in this life. Because people will admit, no one in human nature can do what you are doing unless the Holy Spirit is working in them. You cannot produce this kind of fruit based on your own human ingenuity or desire, it is the work of God. God is at work in your life and there is that fruit that is born in your life and that fruit speaks of what God is doing in your life. That is how we pray for our brothers and sisters that we might be able to see what no human being can do except the Holy Spirit working in them. They can produce the fruit, but we will all be amazed because we know they cannot do that in their own strength. It's God working in them. It's the Holy Spirit transforming them. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the true vine. His power is working in them. That's how come they're able to produce that kind of fruit. And that is why we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. But then you see he keeps piling statement upon statement. Not only does he want them to bear fruit in every good work, he says and increasing in the knowledge of God now when he began in verse 9 he was praying that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will but as it comes to an end in verse 10 he says they might increase in the knowledge of God That's what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's to know God. But that as you know God, you keep growing in that knowledge. It's Every Christian is a person who knows God. They just do not know about God. They know God. But what the Apostle Paul is praying here, it's, it's a deepened knowledge, a growing knowledge that God begins to be big and bigger in your life until there's no room for anything or anyone else but God. There's no room for anything else in this world because you are so preoccupied with God. And loving God and delighting in God and serving God, this is what it means to live life in this world, to live for God, not for yourself, not for anything else, but for him. This is what he means when he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him carry his own cross. Now what does that mean? It only means one thing. What does the cross stand for? It's an instrument of killing you so that God will be all in all in your life. In recent times, as Christians, we have (coughs) speak in terms of what we call the Christian world view. What do we mean by that? It just means that your perspective is always to say, not what I think, what does God think? That's what counts. What does God think? And once I am sure what God thinks, that is what really matters and counts. That's all. It does not matter what anybody else thinks. It just means what God thinks. That God becomes precious to me. God becomes absolutely phenomenal in my life. He becomes big. Do you remember what the Apostle John says to them? He says, He who is in you, what about him, is greater than he who is in the world? You begin to see something of that greatness. You begin to see, to marvel at his grace and mercy and power. The resources that he places at your disposal. grow in the knowledge of God but let me come to an end and he says finally there in verse 11 being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy the apostle Paul recognizes that the Christian life is an impossibility left to yourself. You need power from God to live the kind of life he is praying for here. So he is praying that God's power will be working in your life. That power that the God exerted in raising his son from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the majesty on high, may that power be at work in your life. And as that power is working in your life, it will cause you to be steadfast, it will cause you to be a Christian who is constant, moving forward, walking from one degree of glory to another because the power of God is working in your life. But also, it will give you this endurance because you are going to meet real temptation, real opposition, real difficulty in this world. And if it weren't for the power of God sustaining you, you wouldn't be able to make it. And that's why the apostle is praying that God's power will be at work in your life. That that power will be really noticeable because you are able to endure anything that this world is going to throw at you. Anything that the devil is going to throw at you. This is the reason why we read from Job. Remember what the Lord says about his servant Job. He was boasting to the devil. Have you seen my servant Job? A man who pleases God. And the devil said, yeah, I've seen him. But it's only because of what you give him. That's why he loves you. And the Lord says, okay, fine. I'm going to show you that it's not because of what I give him. Go ahead and take everything he has. Bible says Job did not sin against God. He was not just a person who wanted the gifts of God. He wanted God himself and he was satisfied with God and God was with him through that fire, through those trials. And that's what it means here, it says, endurance and patience. Why do you need the patience? You need patience because of the onslaught of this the enemy, the onslaught of this world upon your spiritual life. And only by the power of God was this man sustained. So what I'm saying is this. This is the way to pray for our brothers and sisters. This is the level of detail we need to pray for one another. And I'm encouraging you. Use the Bible to pray for others. Let us pray.